This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. podcast extension of the pitch from kansas city i am your host and the editor-in-chief of the pitch brock wilbur uh today is gonna be short and to the point because if you can't hear i have chipped my front tooth uh it is our four-year wedding anniversary as of yesterday and uh sat down to a wonderful uh meal with the wife uh got some carry out from the good old cheesecake factory cheesecake factory um and uh Bit into a burger that normally doesn't have uh, this sort of thing inside, and there were two large, uh, uh, those sort of triple large uh, toothpick sort of things you shove in there to keep it together. Uh, no, I'd never seen them in the burger before. Uh, There's no visible sign that there was anything inside the burger. Uh, and uh, took uh, my first bite in and came out without uh, most of my front tooth. So uh, headed to the dentist right now that somebody caught me in. Very excited to be going there and to stop sounding like this. And, uh, you know, uh, looking uh, like Jim Carrey's character from uh, Dumb and Dumber. It's it's a chip in my tooth that I've had since I was a kid. Uh, they, they cover, they fill it in uh, with the sort of a makeshift uh, placeholder thing that usually stays there for two or three years. And then uh, every once in a while out of nowhere, uh, it's gone. So not a, not a new break, uh, but still... A delightful break that makes me look very, very cultured. Uh, so that is Streetwise, the intro for today. Uh, anyway, we've got a, a great episode. God, I can't do this. This is <laughs> okay. I've I got to cut this all short. <laughs> I can I can hear it, and I, I I don't want this to be a thing that I can listen to later. This is this is a lot. Um, so we've got a next music corner coming up. We have a, a wonderful interview. Uh, and, uh, first up here, um, we've got a reading from our friend, uh, Jason at, uh, Stolen Dress Entertainment reading Allison Harris's piece on, uh, trans musicians in the Kansas City area. God damn it. This fucking tooth. Okay. Here's the reading right now. Trans dance revolution. Trans women aren't just music's future. They're its past and present. Words by Allison Harris. Photos by Mason Kilpatrick, Trey Mayberry. Spencer Cheney, Sheppa. Too often, the groundbreaking and earth-shattering music made by transgender women artists is dubbed the future of music, or a vision of what's to come. While this is a nice sentiment, it certainly is poetic to dream of a future utopia where the music of trans artists reigns supreme, music created by trans women has already been woven in and out of music's canon, communities, and its very history. The narrative of the music made by trans women being strictly futuristic begs the question, are they only the future because they've been pushed out of the present? Some trans art is beginning to be recognized globally for their contributions, like the shuddering and clanging vision of pop music created by Scotland's Sophie, or the harrowing, haunting production by Venezuelan artist Arca. But more often than not, less famous trans women musicians face extreme discrimination in their own communities by a money-hungry and vicious music industry rampant with racism and transphobia. Through solidarity that bridges the gaps of class and genre, trans women are building a more equitable industry for themselves. Kansas City's Untuck Collective, a queer and trans-focused record label, are at the forefront of this ethos locally. As an entity, 
Untuck promotes the work of the individual members, while also using a collaborative effort to put on intricate live shows and orchestrate music connections both locally and nationwide. Founded in 2017 by Zoe Shopmaker, Mazzy Mann, and Lorelei Kretzinger, Untuck was crafted out of a need for music venues where queer and trans people could feel safe and showcase their art. I strongly believed that if I could elevate the voices of those in my community, I could elevate my own, co-founder Mazzy Mann says of this need for change. Therefore, I was creating a stage for myself because I wasn't being given opportunities. Even up until right before COVID-19, it was like fighting tooth and nail to book a show with venues. While queer artists are beginning to gain traction in the mainstream, they are disproportionately white or cisgender compared to the vast diversity of queer art at large. While it is truly historic to see Sophie, Arca, or Kim Petras recognized for their contributions to music as transgender women, Quay Dash still does not own the rights to her music and faces harassment in her own neighborhood. Mickey Blanco was originally not paid for their contributions to a Tayana Taylor song. Big Freedia's vocals were featured in two top ten songs on the Billboard charts in the last five years, Drake's Nice For What and Beyonce's Formation, yet was not credited as a feature on either track's title. In general, trans people are in the minority, especially black trans people, says Zoe Shopmaker. To break through these certain barriers, like representation, is honestly still a problem. Cis white people get booked way more than black trans people. The music industry likes to tokenize trans people, but it doesn't necessarily like to create level platforms for trans people. When I think of successful trans artists, it's a handful. Everywhere you go, your identity is just put into question in some way, shape, or form, local punk artist Clelia Walking of Bath Consolidated says. That doesn't stop when you get in the music industry. In Kansas City, transgender performers are placed at a distinctive disadvantage to their cisgender peers. Even when club promoters are interested in booking trans artists, often exorbitant fees stand in the way. It's hard because in the Kansas City area, it's just hard to get paid at many venues. You kind of have to put money down, and there's not really a guaranteed audience, says Lena Danov, a member of Untuck. Untuck is cool because it's creating its own spaces. The three shows we did last year, they were all in DIY spaces. Transportal was in Washington Square Park, so that was interesting. We get to come into a space and take it over, rather than have to be coming into someone's venue. Moving forward, these women say venues and shows have to change in order to give everyone a fair shot. Through Untuck, Mann says that they are able to create brand new pop-up style events and performances, which are more equitable all the way around. By centering their own talents as well, the crowds they draw are queerer and therefore safer for everyone involved. It was so much better for me, for us, to do the ideology of the pop-up space, says Mann. We did a three-part series last year, called the Portal Series, that was Transfiguration, Transportal, and Transhuman. And these were three giant DIY pop-up events. No venues, we just got the grant funding for it, and we just did it. We've always been struggling to have space and find space, Mann continues. So the ideal musical landscape is that we would have our own spaces that would not be infringed upon by the venue. As soon as we start talking about profiting, having to save the space as a business, it's no longer about the community and what the community needs in order to provide safer and more accommodating spaces. It's no longer about the people, it's about the institution. COVID-19 has upended all aspects of the live music industry, but because of a reliance on the need to reinvent, Untuck is at a distinct advantage compared to straight and cisgender music alliances. While the coronavirus has wreaked havoc on our world, it offers the opportunity to invent something new and to change the things that weren't fair or weren't working. Throughout the pandemic, virtual and live stream concerts have thrived, 
often harnessing their viewership to collect funds for mutual aid, the transition funds of black trans people, and a multitude of other organizations. Fairy World, a wide-ranging group of DJs from across the globe, hosted Zoom parties featuring a heavily queer lineup consistently since the spring. Open Pit Presence broke ground in Minecraft to create in-game server parties with a multitude of transgender performers, and they raised more than $20,000 for the Okra Project, which provides meal and money for groceries to black trans people. Transgender Avenue used their Twitch music streams to donate directly to trans people's aid funds. Moving music experiences onto the internet may also solve a problem of accessibility for people with disabilities, who are often not made to feel safe in a traditional live setting. However, if online live music wants to be a sustainable model for performers, it'll have to adapt into a model that rivals the profits of live shows with liquor sales and cover charges. In an Instagram story post on December 6th, Mann called out the hypocrisy of KC venues asking for monetary support to remain afloat during the pandemic after being denied access to perform at these same venues during the span of her career. I've been making music, playing shows, and providing platforms for a good eight years now in Kansas City and the amount of blacklisting from radio and venues I've received is innumerable, she writes. So no, I don't want to hashtag save the stage. I want to work harder when this is all said and done to continue to build spaces that are more inclusive and more accessible to a large number of people who are not represented in the Kansas City venue. Zoe Shopmaker echoes for this need for major change, saying that to her, a more ideal music landscape looks like more money in the pockets of black, queer artists. To me, that's really what it comes down to. The music industry is going to be broken so long as the systemic racism in the industry is not addressed. Untuck's members and changes to the Kansas City music scene have already inspired other creators. Local musician Sloan Wednesday speaks of the way it has affected her own career as a musician. My friend Mazzy and Zoe Shopmaker have this collective that puts on a bunch of shows and raves, and that's where I was exposed to their music, and inspired by them doing it. That made me think, oh, I want to do that too, Wednesday says. In conversations with these prolific local musicians, it is clear the effect of seeing other trans artists perform on their own musical journeys cannot be downplayed. Representation matters to queer people. Shopmaker found representation in Octo Octa's performance at Untuck's first ever show, a tribute to pioneering force Wendy Carlos. She played this live set for us. She is a six foot three, gorgeous trans woman, super smart, extremely talented, Shopmaker says, eyes aglow. It was kind of a revelation having her out and seeing her play. That night that she played, I think, was just really a transformative night for me. It was a packed dance floor the whole night. Everyone played amazing sets. She just killed it and introduced me to house and techno music in a way I had never experienced it before. Transgender women artists help shape music in huge ways, but too frequently either go largely unrecognized or are pushed out of their careers before they can gain notoriety. The aforementioned Wendy Carlos, a legendary artist who composed the scores to movies like The Shining, A Clockwork Orange, and Tron, goes all too often uncredited for her huge influence in movie scoring and synth music. Y2K revival pioneer Aisha Erotica and electronica noise pop duo Black Dresses both can be credited with the development of niche internet genres that go on to influence larger genres in a trickle-up sort of way. But both artists had to give up online personas and the release of music due to transphobic harassment. The aforementioned battle between Mickey Blanco and Tayana Taylor's management is a hopeful one that some trans people are able to fight for their right to be credited in their contributions to the music of cis artists. Blanco's eventual crediting on the track was a win against the tokenization without accreditation of trans artists, Mann says.
I think that when you start thinking and talking about representational queer politics, it comes down to it's easier to commodify, tokenize, put it out there as if these people are cool, awesome props for your video, but not paying them. There's this divide, even with the narrative that's placed on, say, a Sophie or an Arca, that they're really edgy, they're really cool, and we don't really talk about the lived experiences of queer and trans people, which is that they have less access to opportunity, Mann says. Shopmaker agrees that although we are beginning to see more trans women actually being credited for their work, it is usually much more nuanced than it seems. Even the more famous trans artists still face harassment and discrimination, while the tokenization of those artists sometimes swings in their favor. In this world that I am a part of, being a trans woman is actually kind of a leg up, Shopmaker says. I've only been in it for two years, and I was working as a DJ full-time before the pandemic. I was booked out from March till the end of June. In the underground dance music scene, people want to put you on, because that's what underground dance music was built on. It was built on black queer people. So that ethos of wanting to represent marginalized artists more definitely gives me a leg up in my industry. It's really weird, she continues, and that, on some level, feels kind of tokeny. But I'm not going to complain about it because I appreciate people wanting to put me on as an artist. No matter what the future holds with COVID-19's disruption of live music and in-person musical collaborations, the work of collectives like Untuck and Solidarity being built at the ground level by trans artists across the country are going to have major effects in the next few years. When asked what an ideal music future looks like to them, trans women are not looking for their art to be more important than all others. They simply want to exist and be treated fairly in music. Local artist Diana Ship is optimistic about things changing for the better. I've seen so many scenes. I've been touring since I was 17, and I'm 28 now. So that's 11 years of going around the fucking country and seeing how other people operate, Ship says. I've been incredibly grateful, in the sense that I've seen other trans people flourish in a capacity I never even understood. We're so fucking capable of making music that is incredibly beautiful and profound in whatever capacity. That's the beauty of music, just the expression of it and its aspects. I want to see grandmas front hardcore bands, Ship says, laughing. I want to see trans-ass fucking grandmas front some fucking hardcore bands going crazy, losing their goddamn minds because they never got to before. We're going to be those grandmas, Walking says. We're going to be those grandmas, Walking says. And we're going to be helping the other grandmas. That's the future. Untuck, online venues, and informal collectives of creatives lifting each other up are all building new spaces and opportunities that help create a better world. We should have our own spaces that are centered around queer voices, Mann says, and black voices, and femme voices, and trans voices, and underrepresented art and music stylings, all those things that are not represented in the mainstream. While under the surface of the mainstream, those spaces are out there, and they are waiting for us to show up. Music created by trans artists has shaped Kansas City's underground music scene considerably, and they deserve credit for it. So don't wait until the mystical trans future arrives. The future is already here. We just have to find it. And now, it's time for Nick's Music Corner. <laughs> God. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Lawrence Shugay's band Lesser Pleasures features members of Minus Story, Long Shadows, Key Party, Black Christmas, and Hush Machine, and per their Facebook, are inspired by 80s nostalgia, social activism, pretty and noisy music, and LFK. 
The band's not known for playing out regularly. They've perhaps performed a dozen times since their formation in early 2018, but the band's pedigree means that each show is a tight hypnotic affair. Or I suppose, was a tight hypnotic affair. Nobody's playing shows now, and the band's last performance scheduled was in March of 2020, which was, of course, cancelled. Happily, the quintet dropped their first release, LP EP01, a four-song EP back in October of last year, and it's a beautifully dark collection of lesser pleasures, gloomy, dreamy songs. Not for nothing was it produced by David Gaumi of NASA's Little Secret, the Stella Link, and Olympic Size, resulting in a big wall of sound wash of gorgeously infectious noise, perfect for the overcast weather of the last week. You can find LP EP01 at lesserpleasures.bandcamp.com. Here's the first track, War, which sets the stage for lesser players, white people.
Uh, and here's my interview uh, with uh, Alexander Clark, uh, who has uh, a new memoir out now about uh, what it is like to grow up, uh, come out uh, as as queer uh, from a from a small town on the outskirts of Kansas City, uh, and to become uh, an internationally famous nanny. Uh, so here's here's our chat about a, a lot of issues around that. Pretty pretty fun time. Uh, so uh, make sure to check out his book. Uh, here's our here's our talk. Alexander, welcome to the podcast. Would you introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, I'm Alexander Clark, and uh, I'm here in Kansas City. And you are an author. Uh, you've just released uh, uh, a memoir called uh, Diapers to Diamonds. Um, yes. What inspired you to write a memoir? Well, um, I uh, grew up in a very, very small town, 300 people, about an hour north of Kansas City. And, uh, you know, um, everybody knows everybody up there and there's not a lot of opportunity. And uh, my grandma and grandpa, my grandpa was a pretty well-known architect here in Kansas City. So I would always come on the weekends to Kansas City. So I knew Kansas City really, really well. And um, I just... Uh, thought I was a little different up there. And, and I started um, when I was 16, uh, my mom uh, met a family that had twins and she basically sold me out to, to take care of them as a nanny and at 16. So I kind of started specifically uh, as a manny, like uh, yeah, she <laughs> here in Kansas city, Manny's really, but in LA in New York and, you know, Europe, it, I guess Manny is a, the term for sure. But and um, and then I just, you know, started with that family and then went to another family and progressed to huge, huge, huge families all around the world. And um, through that process, the book is called Diapers to Diamonds because uh, I feel like the Kansas City family is a diaper family. It's kind of like diapers are kind of cheap, you know, and, and depending on the brand you get. And uh, they were just, you know, they were in the public eye here, but not not on like the extreme. And then the Diamond family is, you know, when I started to be successful with the celebrity and and the billionaire families and, and all around the world. So I called it Diapers to Diamonds. And it's also, I guess, uh, a transition to diapers of, you know, me growing up in a small town, learning how to navigate being this young LGBT kid you know, not knowing at the time, but, you know, kind of, there's, I'm probably am the only one in my whole town that uh, is gay. Um, so I think my mom saw that when I was younger uh, and kind of catapulted me to kind of superstardom, I guess you could say. And, and my story is very unique. And, and so I was, I was working for a family in Los Angeles and a, a producer and author and also a book author she said, Alex, you've got to just write and write and write. And this was 10 years ago. And she said, your story is just fascinating. What you've, the opportunities and, and traveling on the world and flying private and, you know, going to filming locations and just stuff that people around where I grew up, where the average, you know, income might be $25,000, you know, and they never leave. Um, mm -hmm it's it's a remarkable thing to experience and uh i feel like i've part of the book is basically yes it's my story but it's also coming to terms with you know yourself and um 
you know, uh, money isn't everything. Um, I'm happy to be back in Kansas City and, and I'm married and I have a great job and, and I'm, I, I, you know, I have normal work hours and, and learning to uh, navigate that. And uh, which I didn't have working for these families, you know, it's, it's chaotic and stressful. And, and when kids are involved, it's even, you know, more stressful. I remember being in, in Europe and the parents were in Los Angeles and they're like, fly the kids over. And three days later, we flew back to Europe, you know, so just to see their kids. Um, so that's the, 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 the book concept is, is stories of that nature. And also a lot of it is my life. I mean, I would say 95% of it is my life. How, how does one succeed when opportunities aren't given to kids that live in those communities currently? You know, my mom saw something and said, I think my son could, he doesn't want to probably, but I'm going to, you know, put him out there and take, start taking care of kids. This is his niche. And I, you know, I thank her every day for it because I don't, you know, there's parts in the book where I don't know if I would still be here today if that would have, if that wouldn't have happened. So yeah. And a lot of people say you're 36 and, and you've, you've wrote a book. It's a memoir. Why, you know, that's so young. And I'm like, I started when I was 16, you know, working for families and I stopped 10 years ago, you know, a little, I mean, I still, I'm currently working for a really huge family here in Kansas city, but I, there's no kids involved. So um, I still do the domestic staffing, I guess. Um, Kansas city, you don't hear a lot about this type of culture, this type of world. Um, but in the major cities you do. Uh, so I was very lucky when I came back to Kansas city and, and found this job, which has been, you know, so fun and exhilarating at times. <laughs> well, as another 36 year old, first of all, that was one of the things I appreciated when you said over the memoir was like, oh good, because I'm, I'm used to people that are uh, 22, 23 being like, you know what? I have such an interesting life, here's my book. And I'm always just like, yeah, like, yeah, you need to sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, yes. you were really interesting in high school and, and you, sure. People will find that fascinating. I, I, what I love so much about this is that even, uh, even though I'm also a, a Los Angeles transplant, like uh, the world of, the world of the celebrity star nanny was so fascinating to me. Not just that, like working with uh, wealthy families, but like being being known as like the guy to hire yeah. for this was it, it's such a specific like a. a, a obviously it makes sense that it exists in the same way that like there are star personal chefs and things like that but to be like wow he got to live the jet set lifestyle with all this like and, and to to get to that from being an hour north of kansas city in a tiny town like it's such a quick journey for you like what what was it about what you chose to do that allowed you to propel yourself that high that quickly well, I will, I will say, going back to my youth, uh, our town, there was a movie that was filmed there directed by Ang Lee called Ride with the Devil. And um, with Jewel and Skeet Ulrich and Tobey Maguire and Jeffrey Wright and everybody that I got to meet. And I was in it because it's a small town and they wanted, you know, local people. And I was a kid. I think I was, I don't know, nine, maybe eight, nine, ten. And um, I always had this. Now, this is past tense, not currently, but I always had this fascination with Hollywood and, and with with like actors and celebrity. And, and I remember being a teenager and seeing, you know, the Marine of Britney Spears had a Marine nanny 
for her boys and it's like catapulted just magazine covers and it was just so aggressive and crazy. And I thought, you know, it always intrigued me, but my mom going from, you know, getting childcare, it, it, I saw this niche and I think it probably was, it's not in the book, but now as I'm talking to you, it, it a lot of it probably stemmed from that Britney Spears having that Marine nanny. And that's when the whole <laughs> came about. And I thought, wow, you know, if I could make it to LA, New York, you know, Miami, you know, Canada, you know, Toronto, wherever, where it's more um, maybe sought after because they're a little more progressive on the coasts than Missouri. Um, and <laughs> I, uh, I just was, I, I met with some agencies out there. I, I, I flew out there. I had, I had the, the family here. I had triplets. I had, I was a guy. I wasn't out at the time, but I, I had newborn experience, birth to, to one year old. And then, you know, the first family had, had two kids and they were, I think, four and six. So I had the toddler stage and I got out to LA and met with all these domestic staffing agencies. And they were like, this is wild. Like we have never had someone that actually has experience. And a lot of the agencies at first ask you, do you know, do you want to have a role in Hollywood? Do you, do you have any interest in being in movies and, and stuff like that? And I knew I, I was a little progressive myself, I guess, in thinking, but I was like, I better say no, because if I say yes, then that's my ticket in. And they don't want people like that, like working for Jennifer Lopez saying, hey, can you get me in? You're always around sets. And they don't want someone. They want someone for their children only. And so um, so many of my I jobs in L.A. Went, came from having to pretend like that I had no interest in that thing because I. I do know how goddamn annoying it is to people because like, like one of my girlfriend's dads was one of the, one of the head writers on Cheers. And uh, mm -hmm. we were at like his, his mother's funeral and one of the caterers tried to pass him a script. Yeah. And I've, I've never seen so somebody angrier in their life. And I was like, yeah, no, 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 I get it. <laughs> and I think, and also for me coming from Kansas city, you know, a little town, you know, it intrigued me, but it, I wasn't, now my mom is like a, oh my, my gosh, she's like People Magazine, us into, I mean, she's like infatuated with that whole lifestyle. And I will say to, to the masses, once you live it, once you're inside that world, you want nothing to do with any of that when you're done. I mean, I, I talk about it. I became, once I started working for the celebrities and, and um, huge family and a huge billionaire family, you know, I became pretentious. I became, I don't know, I mean, I became an asshole, really. I was, I was horrible. Um, I would come back to visit my family and, you know, or I would go on a, a cruise with my family and I would just like, why can't we do this? Or why can't they do that? Or, you know, and it, it's because everything was always given at a moment's notice. Even the children, you know, you know if, if they said, give it to them, we gave it to them. Um, but that's not reality. That's not, so I really did a lot of soul searching. And I feel when I was living in New York, I had this aha moment of, and I, it, it's my, the chapter of the book's called Thank You, Ricky Martin, or, you know, Hello, Ricky Martin. I, I it's been so long since I thought of that title. But um, I was, I had this huge fight with my employer 
And I went downstairs to my room and I turned on the TV and Oprah and Ricky Martin were on and he was coming out to the world on Oprah. And I just happened to turn the TV on. And I sat there and I was bawling and I was like, oh my God, I think I'm gay. And that's when it, my whole trajectory of life shifted to trying to look inward and, and being a better person and coming to terms with myself and, and realizing that money is not everything. Working for these people are not everything. She was horrible. I mean, it's called Wicked Witch from Greenwich for a reason. And um, I, I signed on for six months and I didn't renegotiate my contract because I, at that moment, I was like, I gotta figure out something else, you know? So the, when we talk about the book, it's a fascinating story because there's so many hurdles in life and so many like, it happened for a reason. And this is why I am here today, you know? And I'm so thankful that, you know, a lot of people don't have that opportunity. You know, a lot of people in these small towns, and that's what I talk about when I talk to other people. I mean, a lot of people, you know, commit suicide. You know, a lot of LGBT, they, they're, they're not welcome. They're not, they're not included and their parents, disown, my husband's parents disowned him when we decided to get married. And it's been five, six years now. So from Topeka, <laughs> I mean, so I, it's shocking to me that I'm so grateful that I have, my dad is a farmer. My mom has worked in a prison for the last 20 years. We're country. My, my dad is country. But he accepted me. And my mom accepted me. My, my, my grandma and grandpa accepted me. But then I look at his family, who's really wealthy. And, and, you know, they were like, we don't want to be involved in it. And it's sad to me that this still happens in, you know, 2021. But so the trajectory of the book, I really feel like living this life being exposed to worldly things, living in Europe where everything's more progressive and accepting and, you know, nudity over there is like, it's like a normal thing here in America. It's not, so I've experienced stuff that I feel fortunate that being in this town that I grew up in, I would, I don't know where I would be. And I think about that a lot with the opportunities that I had, you know, um, but, and knowing that, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. That's the main thing. No matter how much money you have in the world, in life, it's, you know, so I'm really happy and I feel very lucky, I guess. Um, and that's the book. I mean, a lot of the book is about that. There, there is an element in what you're talking about, and, and especially in terms of like becoming an asshole that like, uh, I, yeah. I remember the first time that I encountered it and it is a thing that like, I think is, in many ways beyond your control. And you've talked about like how, you know, it's a product of an environment where you can just ask for literally anything like a genie wish and things to show up because that's the level of, of wealth that you're, you're, you're touristing with. Uh, I, I remember like the first times that I flew back, I, I'm from small town, Kansas. I would fly mm -hmm. back from LA to, uh, to the Wichita airport. And I would go from being in Hollywood in the afternoon to eating at the Applebee's in McPherson at night. And the reverse culture shock I know made me a prick about things, especially when like I'd hop in the car with my parents and they'd complain about how threatening and terrible the traffic was in Wichita, Kansas. And I was like, what reality have I stepped back into? And it took a while to be like, yeah, yeah, no one else is is going through the bends in the way that I am right now. So I just seem like a lunatic being like, none of this is acceptable. <laughs> well, but but also I feel, you know, being, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to venture 
a lot into politics, but coming from a town that is still, you know, just, I mean, I understand the reasonings and I understand the accepting and, and it, you know, I'm not here, I'm not judging. I, you know, I will say I was a judgy person when I was working for these people. I mean, I, I was the most judgy person. My eyes went crazy, but you know, I, the family that I worked for in LA, they were, they were um, not supporting Obama in 08. And this, this is a billionaire family. And I, you know, and I, I wasn't, I, I didn't know a lot about politics back then, but I saw that whole world. And, you know, and when they were for McCain, I was just like, I was, I was thinking of the LGBT issues and I was, I was thinking about the, you know, just accepting and the military, all these things. And now with what's happened the last four years and, and, you know, Obama passed the LGBT marriage equality. So in the book, I'm, I'm like, my friends that still live there, they, they are flying the Confederate flag and they are, they are talking to their children that, you know, we, we respect everybody, but it's not right. And I'm just like, they're 13, you know? And so also, I, that's not what respect means is to be like, well, it's okay, but also it's not okay. And, and we will I, let you know. <laughs> I don't get it. And I go back to my town where my, and I feel bad sometimes because my mom and dad, you know, a lot of people don't understand is, yeah, I wrote a book and a lot of people's read it and, um, and I'm gay. And my mom and dad, they didn't, I, you know, they didn't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I, they didn't I, I sign didn't, up for this. Yeah. <laughs> so they're in this little town and, uh, you know, I talk about these, my friends, I graduated with 11 people in my class and there's a couple that's been traveled the world and, and gotten out. And, and I love coming back to my hometown. I, I think it's, it's town, it, it's home. But when they sit there and, and say these things, it's like, why do you think people don't come back? Why do you think <laughs> they are the way we are? And, and, and it's just so crazy that the mindset of, of human being in human culture now that it's so polarized of, so I, I, and I respect everybody's, you know, I respect if you voted for Trump, I get it. And I talk to my friends and, and people there and you vote for who you vote for. That's your right. It's my right to love who I love also, you know because it's law. But when you, they talk about it, it's like, but it doesn't matter to them. And, it, and it's like, I don't get my, you know, it's not validated. And, and that's where the book is a lot about, like in the back, I have the acknowledgement section and, and um, a lot of people didn't like that I did that. And, you know, I acknowledge my town and I acknowledge the people, but you're not getting thanked in a positive way. You're being thanked in a negative light, knowing that this is what you do to people when you grow up where I grew up and, and how you treat human beings. And, and a lot of people's like, I can't believe you did that. And I'm just like, because I just think they need to know that words matter in life. And, and I am the only gay guy and they, yeah, a lot of people now say, Oh, we always knew it. We always knew you were gay. And I'm like that. Is, I don't get like, why are you even saying that? Like who gives a shit? You know, I don't care if you knew I was gay or not, but you treated me like shit, you know? So there's a difference. And 
I don't know. I, you can't change everybody's mind. You know, I, I think it's like this year I, or last year I worked the polls in November and it was the most exhilarating day of my life. I feel working the polls because I had never done it. My grandma, she's always worked the polls for, I don't know, for God, many, 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 many years. And because of COVID, she, she couldn't. And she said, Alex, will you do this for me this year? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll work the polls because there was a lot of people. And it's just, I feel like it's so polarizing. And, and, you know, a lot of my friends don't even think that what Trump was trying to do was turn back times for, for LGBT. And I say this and I like, how can you, if you're for me, then be a hundred percent for me, for us. You know, you can't cherry pick. That's not a time to cherry pick. And I'm sorry, I don't like it. So, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get in politics in the book generally i mean that's more you know because it was it had been written for a little bit but i just feel the world today we are who we are let's love one another let's be respectful and i can't you know speaking of kansas city i am i'm helping with uh trying i'm helping with the city of kansas city to try to get um you know more rainbow um crosswalks or having a rainbow crosswalk somewhere or stuff and 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 i'm i'm in talks with that and even and i said specifically i said kansas city has a wonderful gay community it's very tight-knit it's it's very close it's it's small everybody you know everybody knows everybody but our city i said and one of the things that i said was like we can't just put a pride flag on the streetcar during pride week like why can't we have pride flags on the plaza you know, why can't we have, and it's my community now. And, um, and I don't know, you know, I, so when people say, how's it like being gay living in Kansas city, I'll say this, I'm not going to live in Spring Hill, Kansas, you know, I'm not going to live in Gardner, Kansas, but I'm midtown. And, and, you know, as a, as a realtor, residential realtor now, you know, I, I think of these places in, in the area and, it's not great. I still go to Eddie V's for dinner and I still look at my surroundings. We are still living in a polarized environment where, and we shouldn't have to as, as people, you know? So I, I hope the trajectory of the book in conversations like this, my goal, and I've, I've done a couple, you know, where it's, it's not about me, it's about us. And I think, you know, firsthand that you know we just need to i don't realize that and i feel these people are just so nasty to to me in general and to us to to the lgbt community and and so and i i kansas city's to fall for that i feel i think the representation is you know so i kind of went off the beaten path with that <laughs> topic but you know i'm i just it's really sad to see because I look at West Hollywood, I look at LA and I was like, I look at Stockholm, I look at, you know, Berlin. I mean, my favorite place to go for, you know, LGBT is Berlin because it's just, it doesn't matter, you know? And it, <laughs> get it, people's values and beliefs. And I, I understand that I'm not, you know, I'm not out. And I say to my friends, it's not like I'm a gay out sucking face with my husband around people. You know, I'm not, we don't do that, we're respectful. I know some people aren't and I understand that, you know, but that's to them. But I just feel like we need to be a little more represented. You know, we need to have a little more compassion, I guess. And, and, um, and so anyway, that's, that's what I want to see. I mean, it's 2021, Jesus, <laughs> like what the hell? I think, what are we I think that dovetails nicely into the, 
what I would hope for is, as a sort of uplifting version here as, a, as the final question, which is, um, I mean, you you came up, you managed to thrive as somebody coming from a, a, a tiny ass Missouri town. To, to, any, to any kid that's out there listening, any teenager, a, anybody who's who knows or who is questioning and thinks that they might be like, what is your Different. advice to them to make it through this? What is what is what is the best thing that you can say? What is what is the advice that you can give for them me, to like get for what? what what I would say and and this is interesting. Um, I'm not going to say the location, but I had a deputy sheriff uh, contact me via social media and he asked me point blank. He said, what can I tell these kids in this little area that I see struggling and you know what I'm not gay but what can what can I do and I was taken aback there and I, I, I at that moment and this was just a month and a half ago and I was just I sat and I, I listened to my my internal dialogue and I'm thinking holy moly this is insane they read the book they're in a t- small town these, there's more multiple people apparently because this is what he's projecting. And so what I said and what I continue to say is be true to who yourself, be true to yourself because I could have went down this path of being in line, being in line with the norm. And I broke that and my parents saw that. And you know, I understand not a lot of parents are accepting of children. And that's something that is just a whole different topic for discussion because it's so sad to see. I cannot even imagine what my life would be like if I didn't have supporting parents. But then I look at my husband who doesn't and you know, there's just no contact. But to know that there's endless possibilities, but you have to want it. You have to, you have to just put it out there and, and you know, it's not easy. I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, there's a lot of times I thought about committing suicide because it's just easier, you know, and, and I know I'm getting deep there, but, you know, there's always that question. And, and I feel that you just have to keep trucking along. Don't give up and surround yourself with good human being people. You know, we're here, you know, I don't know who says that, but we're here, we're queer and whatever. I, I can't remember the person that, Oh, I was the woman. She's on the city councilman in in Wyoming. And she said that. And 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 everybody was like, we don't want the pride flag flown. And she's like, you get Juneteenth flag flown. You get this and this. And she's like, we're queer. We're here. We're here. We're queer. And, some, and I was just like, that was just like exhilarating. But it's so nasty. It's just the people. So I get it. I, you know, I don't know, ultimately, deep down, but just don't give up because you're, you're, you're much, I mean, people are, we're here to let's show them who's boss. I mean, I look and I talk to a lot of people and there are a lot of gay people that are high power people, you know, but that's not what defines them. But I just feel like I should have the same opportunity as anybody else. And, you know, your voice matters just as anybody else. So I really, truly feel if you're in it, but the, the sad thing is, or the hard thing is, is if you grow up in a small town and there's, you don't know what to do, my number one thing is go to a city, you know? If you're able, and if you're like, you know, take a little sabbatical, I guess, you know, I don't know. And, and, and 
go to LA. I mean, literally, I when I went to West Hollywood and went to the Abbey and went to these clubs and Mickey's and different things, you know, I was like, holy crap, things exist outside of or my hometown. And uh, so I just thought it's okay to be who you are. You know, I'm not, I'm a blunt person in general and I am, um, I have a strong personality, but, and, and I've grown over the years to listen to, to people's viewpoints and, and understand. And, and that's why I kind of went into politics because I can understand people liking Trump for his policies. You know, I can understand that, that that's, that benefits you, that, that that's your deal. But to sit there and condemn it or to, to say it's okay that how he treats people and how he's treating LGBT, you know, with his policies, I don't think that's a fair statement to, to make, but, it is hard and what I'm trying to do, and I wish we had more people, more allies to, to kind of stand up and say, help these kids. And, and because I, I hear a lot of tragic stories and it really, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. And I can honestly say that. And I think you'll get that with my book of knowing how I grew up, where I grew up and, and navigating through different cultures of life. Um, and yeah, I'm back in Kansas City. And that's why I said it's not the best place to be gay. You know, it really isn't. A, you know, this is kind of my home. And, and I love Kansas City. I think there's a lot of a lot of neat things to do in Kansas City. But to be represented uh, as a gay person, I don't think we're there. And, um, and that's being worked on. And I am I'm, I'm in the process of, of doing that. And uh, which we need more people to do that. We need more advocates for us. And, and like I said, we can't just put a flag up at city hall, like, come on, you know? So I don't know. I just, anyway, so it's, it's, it's a struggle. It really is. But the, the youth, because of COVID, we can't really go do, you know, group things, but what I would love to do is, is do like a question type thing. And I just thought that was interesting that a deputy sheriff reached out to me and he didn't know what to say to these kids. And that's, I kind of look at the question and I think, really? I mean, that's shocking that you don't know, you know, show them love, show them respect, you know, let them know that it'll be okay, you know, because it will be. But I know there's a lot more challenges out there for kids than, than one would. I mean, I talked to my mom a lot and she's like, really people that like kids are going through that. And I'm like, yeah, mom, you know, they are because you don't open yourself to, to, you know, the cities and, and you're in this little town and you watch local news, you know, you don't read Buzzfeed and different articles about what we're dealing with. So, but I mean, she's a lot better, but back then she was, but it's, I think just, I don't know, I'm rambling now, but it's just a hard thing and it's sad and it makes me really mad that, you know, still we're having to deal with this stuff, you know? It's like, let's get over it, you know? But politics. <laughs> You're right, there's certainly work to be done. Um, congrats on the book and thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks, I appreciate it. And that has been the Street Wives podcast from here in Kansas City. I'm Brock Wilbur. I uh, really appreciate you guys listening, especially today through this. Uh, <laughs> please uh, please tip, chip in a few dollars uh, here and there if you can uh, at uh, thepitchkc.com, where you can find us doing excellent work each and every day, especially this week. Uh, a lot happening there, especially with the Boulevard Brewing story that we have just been... Uh, look, I haven't gotten much sleep. Uh, and now haven't gotten much too. 
So uh, it, it's just going to be a nice weekend to recover, I think, and uh, any support for you would uh, absolutely make all the difference in the world. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Pitch in, and we'll make it free. Bye. <laughs>